it's been two weeks before Thanksgiving that we were in the book of Numbers, and we've now made the return. <laughs> you say, why did it take so long? Well, if I'm going to be honest with you, when I got to chapter 17, it's like the Lord put the Jake break on. And I tried really hard, just and I dug in and I dug in and it wasn't there. So after I hit a wall for so long, I move on. I used to just lose uh, days and days of sleep and I flip out and get all worked up. But nine years into this thing of trying to be a pastor, when I meet the impassable wall, I just move around it. <laughs> so now we're back, and uh, I'm not saying that I have... Uh, <clears throat> have the, uh, the greatest uh, messages in the world. But back to Numbers chapter 17. Like I said, two weeks before Thanksgiving, we reached number 16. And I don't know if you remember or not. Uh, you can go ahead and stand here. I'll just say a few words and then we'll read uh, uh, Numbers chapter 17. But we found ourselves in Numbers chapter 16, if you can recall that far back, in the midst of a rebellion, and the thing was an absolute mess. In chapter 16, there's a, a lot of things going on in chapter 16 that are uncomfortable, uncomfortable to read because of the things that took place and the personal application, the amount of kind of inward looking at the whole thing and what we found out that there were uh, just nothing. The whole thing began with people self-exalting themselves. <laughs> uh, just, it just began with self-exaltation and that whole thing led to evil associations which then brought about uh, false accusations, and the list goes on. But as we approach chapter 17 here, what we see is chapter 17 begins with, we just put in the rearview mirror, I think I have it written down here, 14,700 funerals that took place. That's kind of interesting when you look at Scripture in the light of what has just happened. Not only did Korah, Dathan, and Abiram lose their lives for the rebellion, and 250 men, the Bible says in that passage, but before the end of that day took place in chapter 16, 14,700 of his own people, the children of Israel, ended up losing their lives because they got caught up in this rebellion. With those great thoughts in mind this morning, Let's read chapter 17. Follow along with me. The Bible says in the beginning in verse 1, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take every one of them a rod, according to the house of their fathers, of all the princes, according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods. Write thou every man's name upon his rod, and thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I choose shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and of every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece, for each prince one according to their father's houses, even twelve rods and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. Behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded 
almonds. I read that and I thought this thing, that's nuts. And the Lord says, you're absolutely right, it's almonds. <laughs> and Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto all the children of Israel. And they looked and took every man his rod. And the Lord said unto Moses, bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels. Thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from me, that they die not. And Moses did so. As the Lord commanded him, so did he. And the children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Whosoever cometh anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for Calvary. We thank you, Lord, for the blood. And Father, we pray this morning that you help us as we look at your word. And Father, we pray that you'd open our eyes we may behold wondrous things of thy law. Father, I pray that you'd show us exactly what we need to see this morning. Change our lives for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As we begin chapter 17 here, we notice something. The funerals are in the rearview mirror. It's kind of somber. 14,700 funerals. Lots of uh, life insurance, no doubt. Just kidding, I say that because they are Jewish. I don't know what else to say, but it's an absolute mess in the time of Israel's history among the camp. But one thing's for sure in chapter 17, the Lord's going to set this thing straight. He's going to set something straight here, isn't He? And what we read from this chapter, and I would... I don't know, I'd probably be understanding. I probably have read this chapter at least 50 times. And I said, Lord, am I just that blind? Can you help me with this? And it was pretty quiet. So I don't know how your mind works. Every now and then, if I can't grasp something, I begin to write it down. So I wrote it down. I wrote the chapter. There's only 13 verses in the chapter. And I wrote it out in the best penmanship possibly that I could. I said, there, now I can get it, and I didn't get it. <laughs> I said, well, back to the drawing board. And so I read it again and again, and I think the thing that's most evident through this chapter is the Lord is going to, He's going to set some things straight in this chapter. And I'd like to attempt to preach a message this morning, hopefully that's edifying, that's encouraging, but yet it might be just a tad bit convicting. I'd like to preach a message, if possible, on final authority. Because what we see in chapter 17 is that the Lord is going to set up the final authority how things are going to be run in Israel. He's going to reveal who the final authority is in matters of, of all religious matters. And while this thing is a historical thing, it very much has a spiritual contrast to it. Very much has a spiritual application in our lives. Can I say this this morning? When you submit to the Holy Spirit of God you are victorious in your Christian life. But when you refuse to submit to God's final authority, that's when you and I are headed for trouble. And can I say this this morning? The original problem in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, you know what it was? It was authority. The problem in Revelation chapter 20, you know what it is? It's authority. And the problem here in Numbers chapter 17, you know what it is in 16, 15, 14, so forth and so on. It's authority. You know what the problem is in your Christian life inside of your home? It's authority. And I'd like to preach a message about final authority. This chapter can, I say, simply be broken down. It took me forever and a day. 
but it can simply be broken down into four parts. First of all, I'm going to give you the message, so uh, you won't have to take too many notes. I'll give you the message, and then I'll try to preach it. But first of all, it can be broken up in, number one, the divine test of final authority, as found in verses 1 to 7. Number two would be the determination of final authority. That's verses 8 and 9. And number three, you have the decisions of final authority. And then you have the doubtful acceptance of final authority. You say, why are you chuckling, preacher? Because at the end of the chapter, they accept it, but they're none too happy about it. Does that sound familiar in your Christian life? You and I here, if you're here today, you're saved by the grace of God. Amen. You're thankful that you're saved. And a lot of times the Lord shows you who's in charge, doesn't he? And he allows some things to happen in your life that you're just really none too happy about. And you are thankful that you're saved. You're thankful that one day you're going to go to heaven when you die and get out of this old cotton-picking world. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm ready to go now. I don't want to stay another day. You say, well, that's selfish. You're right. You pray for me, amen. You stay here all you want. I want to get out of here. I'm kind of homesick for a country. But the Lord has some things today to show us when it comes to final authority. And I'm not talking about pastoral authority either. That won't even show up in the message. I just want to get that out of your mind for a second. We're talking about God's final authority. God's final authority. Can I say, first of all, I want to show you the divine test of final authority as found in verses 1 to 7. When it comes to the divine test, what is this test in the chapter? We just read about it. God has a test for his own people. That's what it is. And let me tell you what, spiritually speaking, in, in the Christian's life, the Lord will test you. And the test is this, when I reveal the the final authority to you, God wants to know, are you going to obey it? When God reveals to you the final authority, can I say this morning that you are not the final authority in all matters of faith and practice? In this wicked country that you and I live in, uh, they say this, I am my own man. That's not how God runs. That's not how God deals with men. God set up a final authority through Jesus Christ and then through His Word. But this divine test of final authority, first of all, it pertains to all men in the passage if you look at verse 2. The Bible says here in verse 2, the take of every one of them. You see that? Take of every one of them. So the test is not, uh, it's, what can I say it, uh, it's very inclusive. It doesn't exclude anybody. Everyone's represented in the test. When it comes to final authority, and I'm not trying to be out there in left field, but this pertains to you this morning. This is not just those who might not could have made it in today, amen? This has to do with everybody because in the, in the, very, uh, uh, the very stowaways of your heart, many times you forget who's the authority. We are responsible to the Lord Jesus Christ for our actions and one day we're going to give an account. But this divine test of final authority, it pertains to all men. Look back to Numbers chapter 1. You say, well, who in the context is it dealing with? Well, of course, it's talking and dealing with the nation of Israel. But if you look at Numbers chapter 1, it gives you the list of all those princes. I don't know how many times you've read your Bible. So you get to Numbers chapter 1, and you're reading a bunch of names, and you're like, and you can't pronounce half of them, can you? But this is, this is like the answer key to what we're talking about. If you go there, look at verse 5. It says, and these are the names of the men that shall stand with you, the tribe of Reuben. All right, so the tribe of Reuben had a prince. His name was what? Eliezer, however you say his name. If you look at verse 7 of Judah, that prince's name was Nashon. By the way, that's the, uh, 
That's the brother-in-law to Aaron. There's a fun fact. Uh, verse 8, Issachar, uh, that prince's name was Nethaniel. So these guys, all through here, Numbers chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, all the way to uh, verse 15, these are the princes, the Bible says. This is who it's talking about. There were 12 tribes, and one prince uh, uh, stood for each tribe. But interesting enough here, in Numbers chapter 1, not trying to get lost like a golf ball in high weeds this morning, but you have the children of Joseph, which is Ephraim and Manasseh. So you have 12 princes here, and then when you get over to Levi, which wasn't counted in that list, that makes the 13th man. That's an interesting number, isn't it? 13 is the number of rebellion. 13 is the number of uh, destruction and damnation. And uh, interesting enough, uh, there's 13 that uh, show up here, and there's 13 verses in the chapter. Not only that, but when Jesus Christ was on this earth, uh, he had how many disciples? Uh, he being the 13th man. You see that? I'm telling you, there's spiritual connections all through this thing as we talk and preach about final authority. So first of all, it pertains to all men. Everyone's included. Everyone's included in Israel. And not only that, but when it comes to the divine test of final authority in the chapter today, it repre its representation was a rod with their name written on it. That's an interesting test. What, what's a rod? It represents authority. You know what represents authority to the Christian? This book right here. Uh, we don't carry a rod around and beat people with it. We take a Bible and we preach from it, and that preaching is what beats. You've heard of being a Bible thumper. Have you heard of that? Well, I'm preaching this morning. I've got a pretty good-sized mouth on me. Nobody say amen to that, amen. And when I'm preaching from this book, you know what this book is? This book's like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. That's Jeremiah chapter 23. I'm just telling when it comes to the final authority, it pertains to all men, and it pertains to every man had a rod. And they put their name on it there, verse 2. The Bible says, write thou every man's name upon his rod. Not only that, when it comes to the divine test of final authority, it was to take place where the Lord meets with his people. Look at verse 4. This is real simple, just expository preaching. Trying to preach this chapter. It was to take place where the Lord meets with his people. Verse 4 says, where I will meet with you. You see that? Well, the Lord met with Israel where? Verse 4, the tabernacle of the congregation. I believe this morning, if you want to personally and practically apply this thing, the Lord meets with the Christian. He does it in about three different ways. I suppose there's more, and you could nitpick, and you could uh, find about 100 different places. I'm not talking about the fishing boat or the tree blind, amen, or wherever the golf course. I'm talking about there's three ways I believe the Lord will meet with you. First of all, since man is a tripart being, amen, body, soul, and spirit, I believe the first taught the way he can meet through you uh, in no particular order, through his body. What's his body? That's the church, your local church. He can meet with you through the local church. Amen. And you came this morning. I believe the Lord can meet with you here. Not only that, but the, uh, the, the, the body, soul, and spirit, uh, He can meet you through the tabernacle of your body. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. You say, what is that? You're a tripart being. That's the soul of man. That's the new man. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Right? So he can meet with you three ways, through the local church, he can meet with you through the tabernacle of your body, and not only that, thirdly, through spiritually speaking, through the Word of God. You say, what are you saying? Well, when it comes to the divine test of final authority, he's going to meet you where God meets with you, and there's three places there. Well, I'm talking about this divine test. 
interesting enough about this divine test in chapter 17, it takes something dead and it produces something living. It takes something dead in the chapter and it produces something living. Look at verse 5 with me. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose, just a dead old stick, I shall choose shall blossom. You try that out at the county fair. Shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel. Yeah, you'd shut a lot of people up. You'd make old stick blossom, wouldn't you? All right, look at verse 8. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds. Are you looking at this in your mind's eye? This thing's a freak show. For the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yield almonds. That's amazing. Brought forth life out of something dead. Out of something dead. Ain't that wild? Israel, according to Israel, Aaron's a dead rod budded. But you know what? According to Jesus Christ, the Bible says over in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Not only Israel, but Jesus Christ. How about the believer? You realize this divine test of final authority, it takes something dead and produces life. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You know, the test of final authority, before you got saved, you're just a dead old sinner. You were headed to hell. You were as good as in hell with the door shut. You trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Out of death came life. Now that Bible says in Colossians 2.13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You realize without the final authority of Jesus Christ, you still would be dead. Well, that's the divine test of final authority this morning. Can I give you number two? The determination of final authority. Verses 8 and 9, the determination. The Lord determined that something dead, like we said, would be laid up in the tabernacle of witness. Just taking you through the chapter so you can see it. The Lord determined that something dead would be laid up in the tabernacle of witness. Not only that, the Lord determined that the man he would choose, the man that he would choose would produce life from the dead. Not only life, but you notice that he produces fruit. Not only is it a revival brought back to life, but once you're brought back to life like that dead old stick, not only does it bud, not only does it produce buds, not only does it produce blossoms, but then it produces fruit, almonds. You get over there in Exodus chapter 37, verse 17, 18, 19, we are preached, and that's the whole design of the tabernacle, that almond. The Lord determined that the man he would choose would produce life from the death. Uh, but not only that, but the Lord determined that all men would see it. Look at in verse 9. I want you to see it. No pun intended. 
the Lord determines that this test all men would see it. And Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto all the children of Israel, and they looked. And don't you know that when they looked at that rod and they saw that thing budded and bloomed and blossomed and almonds, don't you know they about fell over? I don't know how you read your Bible. I read these things, these supernatural events, and I'm thinking, my goodness. We're so used to television and Hollywood and hocus pocus and all this stuff there that if a real miracle happened, we wouldn't even know it. We wouldn't have a clue. We're so used to computer-generated imaging and graphics and this and that and the other, and we're used to Superman and Batman and Thor and the Hulk and whoever is and the guy in spandex and all the rest of that stuff that a real miracle happens. We're like, I don't think we'd understand it, would we? But I'm telling you what. That rod came out, produced life from the death, it produced fruit, and the Lord determined that all men would see it. Here in verse 9, all of Israel saw it. Can I say this when it comes to final authority? One day you'll see it at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if you're picking up what I'm throwing at you here, but in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, the Bible says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all appear at the judgment seat of Christ for... It is written. I think it's interesting when you mention the judgment seat of Christ, the very next thing that pops up after the judgment seat of Christ is something that's written. You say, why are you preaching about something that's written? I'm preaching about final authority this morning. As soon as the judgment seat of Christ is mentioned, something that's written shows up. Well, all of Israel saw it in verse 9. One day every believer will see it at the judgment seat of Christ. And can I say this? One day all mankind will see that final authority. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. The Bible says, Behold, He cometh with clouds. You realize the Lord could come back at any time? And one day at the second advent, He's coming back and every single eye shall see Him. Every eye. Listen, when He comes back for the church, not everyone will see Him. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But one day those that stay behind... They'll see it. Every eye shall see it. And you know what? 30 years ago, you and I didn't understand that. But now you and I got a cell phone, got a smartphone, and guess what? Every eye shall see it. It'll be live streamed. Well, trying to go somewhere here this, this morning, the determination of final authority. One day all mankind will see it. Can I tell you about Psalm chapter 40, verse 7? The Bible says, then, I said, then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. When the Lord talks about coming back, you know what He talks about? He talks about coming back in the volume of the book. That's the final authority. The final authority. Can I tell you this morning that when it comes to the determination of final authority, the Lord determined that there'd be only one high priest in this text right here. You see, that's what everyone was all jacked up about. They wanted to be the big shot. They wanted to be the one calling the shots. So the Lord's like, we've got to take care of this thing right here and right now. I mean, I've already buried 14,700 of my family. Now we've got to take care of business. So he gets everyone to put their rods in there, right? And then Aaron's rod buds. Why? Because he was the one high priest that the Lord wanted. He was the final authority at that time for Israel. 
in all religious matters. Here in the text it's Aaron, but here in the book that you and I read and love and weep over, Jesus Christ, you know what he was done? He was laid up at Calvary for all to see, and he is now the one high priest that is superior to all other priests. I don't care how many priests are out there doing whatever they're doing, shaking their censers and all that stuff and giving sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the one high priest that is superior to all other priests. The Bible says over in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gift and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, Today have I begotten thee. Jesus Christ was the one high priest that is superior to all other priests. I'm talking about the determination of final authority. In the text, Aaron was the high priest for Israel. In the life of the believer, Jesus Christ is the one true high priest. Nobody else will cut it. Can I tell you number three this morning, the decision on final authority. Decision on final authority. If you look in verse 10, this decision is a token against rebels. It's a token against rebels. You say, what's a token? Something you put in a video game? Well, that might be, but that's not what we're talking about. Amen. A token is a sign. A token is an indicator. A token is a mark. A token is a memorial. It simply means to make known. You know what the Lord did here in the text? He did what He did to point out who the rebels were. Now listen, this morning I'm talking about final authority. And I I apologize in advance if I'm not doing a very good job of explaining and showing you both sides of this thing. But Aaron was the true high priest. And the reason the Lord did that is so the Lord would show that rod and it was a token against the rebellion that took place. But it goes beyond that. The Lord did what He did here to point out the rebels. And today in the matter of final authority, can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is a token against rebels. To the lost, if you won't accept Jesus Christ, you're a rebel against your own soul and eternal destiny. I'll say it again. If you're here today and you're lost and you won't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a rebel against your own soul. You're a rebel against your own eternal destiny. And to the saved... If you won't accept his final authority, you're a real hot mess. This is his final authority. You're a rebel against your own what? Spiritual growth. This decision is a token against rebels. Not only that, in verse 10, this decision that was made by God, this decision is against murmuring. Let me tell you what, you see what you saw in the text there, it'll keep your mouth shut, won't it? (laughs) I kept reading that thing and reading that thing and like, yeah, I'd probably quit murmuring too. But you know what? The more I read his final authority, the less I murmur. You say it can't be that simple. It is that simple. The less I read of this book, the more I open my mouth against the final authority. 
the more I read this book, the more I accept this final authority, the more I believe this final authority, the less I open my mouth against it. Do you see the contrast? It prevents murmuring. It takes it away. To Israel, murmuring could now stop. Why? Aaron had been chosen. Can you imagine all those other tribes? They, they willingly cast their rods in there like, oh, I'm going to get picked, I know it, because I'm the firstborn, and I'm the best looking, and I'm the strongest, and I have the most sheep, and I have the most oxen, and I'm telling you what, I'm the best at business, and Aaron's rod comes through. Don't you know Aaron was some Hebrew hook-nosed Jew that probably didn't look like anything at all? And now they're going, oh, it ain't about me, it ain't about you. It's about the one that God chose. Who did God chose? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ chose this book. To Israel, murmuring could stop now since Aaron had been chosen. And can I say this? To all mankind, murmuring can now stop for Jesus Christ has been chosen. This decision, it takes away dying. It takes away murmuring. It takes away dying. Let me give you the last one. Maybe not much of a message this morning, but just trying to expose the passage for what it is. Number four this morning, can I show you the doubtful acceptance of final authority? This is reality. This is where you and I live. Amen, preacher. I believe in Jesus Christ, our high priest, holy, harmless, separate from sinners and undefiled. Amen. No one cares for me like Jesus, but do you accept the final authority? And this is where it gets real quiet. The doubtful acceptance of final authority. If you're honest, you'll look at this passage and you'll look at how the chapter ends and you'll understand why the doubt rises up within your heart and you'll understand why you're not always so quick to accept the truth and you'll understand that why many times you have difficulty in your life is because you don't want to accept it even though you have. The doubtful acceptance of final authority is in 12 and 13. Can I tell you, first of all, that Israel accepted the decision. The decision was made for them. It's manifested through the confession. Look in verse 12. You know they accepted it because this is what Israel says. Behold, we die. It didn't say, behold, we are happy for you have made the decision. And we're so glad we're going to go along with you and trumpet it from the hilltops. He says, we're dead. You see that? Do you remember when you came to Christ? You know what you realized? That without Jesus Christ, you were toast. You see it? You had to accept that final authority. Without Jesus Christ, without the bread of life, you'd be toast. You'd be good as in hell with the door shut. He says, behold, we die. You know what that is? And it's admission of guilt. As much as we have the truth of God in our laps this morning, the one thing that we don't desire to do is admit our own guilt. We're not good at admitting when we're wrong. We're not good at admitting we haven't done what we should. We're not good at saying, I haven't accepted this final authority. And can I tell you this morning, at the moment a sinner believes on the one true great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, he immediately sees himself as a sinner 
that's headed for hell, just like chapter 16, just like Korah, just like Dathan, just like Abiram, just like 250 men, men of renown, remember the Christian celebrities we preached about? They all got together with them, and God smoked them. He said he consumed them. And then he consumed 14,700 of them. At the moment a sinner believes on the one true great high priest, he immediately sees himself as a sinner headed for hell. And he comes to the conclusion. Look at verse 12. Here is the conclusion of the matter. The last part of that verse, we all perish. Not just I'm headed for hell, but everyone's headed there too. Unless you accept God's final authority. First of all, for salvation is through Jesus Christ our Lord, which you know. But can I tell you what, Christian? It's more than just salvation that's at stake here. God's final authority, he says, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. God didn't choose uh, uh, you that you would get saved and just drop off into nowhere. He, cho- he, he determined that when you got saved, you would then take up his word, not only accept his son, but then accept his final authority and go with it. Admit your guilt and read it and love it and study it and obey it. And when it points out where you're wrong, you say, yes, we perish. But today there is no reason to end on the sentiment of verse 13. Again, verse 13 is the number of rebellion, isn't it? See, we're coming out of rebellion, but even... When the Lord sets up who His final authority is, there's still 13 verses in the chapter. You say, oh, preacher, you are too superstitious. No, I believe the Bible. I believe that God shows us, He gives us a glimpse into the heart of man that although that God finally set the record straight and Aaron is now that high priest, Aaron didn't choose it for himself like the book said. God chose Aaron. But even amidst all this and the final authority for Israel is now set in place, there's still rebellion lurking in the heart of every man. But it doesn't have to end on this note. There's no reason to end on this sentiment. Look at verse 13. The last part of the chapter is a chilling statement. It says, shall we be consumed with dying? Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, can I ask you the same question? Shall we be consumed with dying? But the answer is no. Israel wouldn't be consumed with dying if they would accept Aaron. Let me tell you what. As we go through the book of Numbers... Where they didn't accept Aaron, God smoked them. I'm thankful we don't live under the law. As one preacher said, if we weren't under grace, you'd be underground. I'm telling you, there's a bunch of people underground here. If we weren't under grace, I don't think you'd you'd have had to get a pastor like the day after you all voted me in, I'm sure. But let me say this. Israel wouldn't be consumed with dying if they'd accept Aaron as the true high priest. Can I say this? No man alive today has to be consumed with dying. You say, what's that? The second death, eternal death. If he'll simply trust Jesus Christ as his Savior, as the final authority. 
He said it has nothing to do with what you did or what you've done or what you've accomplished or where you've been, or your social status, your economic status, or how much scripture you think you know or how many classes you attended. The final authority is accepting Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. You got to go to Him. You see, Israel, they had to go to that priest. We don't go to a priest. We go to Jesus Christ. For there's one God and one mediator, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for us all. No man alive today has to be consumed with dying. Can I say this this morning? No believer alive today has to be consumed with this doubtful acceptance and spiritual deadness. How, preacher? If he'll simply accept the authorized version in which God gave him to read. You see how I stuck that in there? This is the book that God uses and the devil hates. This is why we have on that sign out there, Bible believers, Baptist church, not a bunch of pile of Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, not a bunch of rotten translations out of a monastery in Rome somewhere. This is the authorized version, King James Version 1611, that come out of the Reformation. That's God's final authority. The doubtful acceptance of final authority. We don't have to end this way. No believer alive today has to be consumed with this doubtful acceptance if he'll accept the book that God gave him in English to read. Last but not least, shall we be consumed with dying, friends? No, we don't. As I close this morning and Elizabeth comes to the organ, why not make the decision today to accept God's final authority, Jesus Christ? And then, Christian, have you accepted God's final authority of this authorized version, King James Bible?